0: Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com.
1: want to give you time just for a second. With all the distractions and resistance, just take a moment of pause and solitude. We're going to practice the rule of life where we're going to focus just on centering our souls to the Spirit and God So take a moment and exhale. Just let it all out. All the toxicities, anxieties. All the worries of today and tomorrow. And inhale the transcending presence of God. Waves of mercy, waves of grace. He sees you. He understands. The Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. All God's people pray. Amen. Welcome. Welcome welcome everyone who've joined us in person in the theater and those uh, watching us live on YouTube currently we're so glad you joined us in different parts of the country and the world welcome again so glad to see all you guys Uh, we're going to go back to our series Uh, I started a few weeks ago before the retreat A series on the fruit of the Spirit love joy peace patience kindness gentleness and self-control what it means more than ever in such a polarized world with so much social unrest and political unrest how we are called to represent the father's heart and the person of Jesus Christ to a post-Christian world in the spirit, and the advent of deconstruction and post-modernism. People uh, really want to know, show me your faith rather than just tell me your faith. A few years ago, the New York Times featured by the sketch guy. I'm not sure if you guys read this segment of the Times, but let's put this picture up there. Um, they did a feature on what you call The imposter syndrome. How many people ever feel the imposter syndrome? Raise your hand if you feel the imposter syndrome. New job, you're at school, uh, you know, you just, career, even marriage or a relationship, and you feel like people are going to find out I'm a fraud. Tell someone next to you, are you a fraud? Because I am. (laughs) And you're faking it till you make it. And the sketch guy, uh, learning to deal with the imposter syndrome, created a sketch, making something look easy, that domain, versus discounting its value. And somewhere between those two domains is the imposter syndrome. Sometimes in the age of social, when people make it look too easy, we, f- we feel discounted, that's not me. I can't ever associate with that. It could be, you know, a new mom. You look at this mom and they just look like they have no trouble in the world. They're like doing, you know, hit workouts. And, you know, and, and these burpees, they look like they didn't have a baby. They have like an A-Pack, and, you know, and, and it's just like, you're there, you're a new mom and you're post, you know, trauma, the post, and you just like you just feel like I'm fat, and what like what is wrong with me? You're a fraud. You can't be a mom or a student. Any type of case in our life, you're new at school. Everybody looks like they belong. They're glamorous. They're walking in the streets of New York, but you don't belong here. You know the the crazy thing is they did a survey from all kinds of qualitative and quantitative studies. And most of everybody, about 7 billion people, feel imposter syndrome. Because we don't really explain the process of how something develops. And so even our faith, a lot of times, we feel like we're just fumbling through, faltering through. We feel like imposters. Am I a Christian or not a Christian? How am I in my faith? I don't think I believe, I believe. Those dark nights of agnosticism. You know, just like, what is that? How does that play out? And today, one value that I want us to adopt is the value of authenticity, the value of the ambivalence of life. That in life, There is ambiguity, ambivalence, and struggle. Because if you didn't have that, you wouldn't be human. But sometimes people make it look so easy. You know, the pastors up here, people leading worship up here, they just, you know, look like this, talking to the Lord like this. And it just, you know, it just seems so easy that that can't ever be me. And the problem of the attractional model is that when you meet in church, you see everyone's best. You see their polished highlight and you don't see their bloopers. Today, Paul, in Galatians 5, shows us his bloopers. Shows us the process of being formed into the image of Jesus. How the love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit are produced in a very interesting way. In any way, and I want to take us there, but let's read what Lewis says here about the imposter syndrome in just framing your faith from a biblical lens. This is what Lewis says The world does not consist of 100% Christians and 100% non Christians. There are people, a great many of them, who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but who still call themselves by bi- That name. Some of them are clergymen. Things are not always as they appear. There are other people who are slowly becoming Christians, though they do not yet call themselves so. They are people who do not accept the full Christian doctrine about Christ, but who are so strongly attracted by him that they are his in a much deeper sense than they themselves understand. Now, I don't know where you might be in your faith journey, watching online or present, far, close, or somewhere in between. But genuine spirituality begins with something genuine. You have to start where you are in the process, in the journey. And that's what Paul snapshots in Galatians 5. Now I think a good framework because Marvel, the Marvel craze taking place this weekend and last weekend you know and sometimes Marvel and the MCU does a better job than the church in showing of what things look like. So I want to use Venom as a lens. To look through to explain and articulate the doctrine of original sin, we could use, you know, St. Augustine, but we, all could, we also could use Stanley and Venom. So let's put the picture up there. Because the tension in Venom and Eddie Brock, the symbiotic relationship that they have, is that Venom. Is a symbiote, right? He has a propensity, has no morality, no framework for what not to do. For him, he's a living organism. He wants. And Carnage is coming out soon, which I just bought tickets for my kids. Really excited about it. But in the trailer, uh, Venom and Eddie Brock makes a deal with their local deli store with Mrs. Chen, where you know Venom really likes chocolate, so he needs you know lots of chocolate. And in the trailer, it says, Mrs. Chen, do you have the chocolate? She goes, we don't have the chocolate. And Venom says, I am going to eat, Mrs. Chen. Why not? And what you see there is a propensity toward something, a a natural proclivity to consume whatever, whatever it might cost the object, no matter what, there, there is no frame of morality. And Paul frames the sin nature, what he calls in the biblical term, the flesh, as that. The flesh is in conflict with the spirit. And that's a good picture. Tell someone next to you, you everybody has a venom inside of them. You're like, Really? Yeah, when we're unedited, our natural proclivity, which is different from captivity, but proclivity or propensity, whatever your natural law dispenses, everyone has this beast, if you're human, that you have. And that's what Paul's talking about. And a lot of times, in Christian spirituality we we take this meticulous form and we tell people not the process but the end, the goal. You gotta walk in the spirit. You gotta be loving. You gotta have joy. Everybody look happy. Right? And there are books about how to look happy. Seven things to think positive about your life. And all your problems will go away. But I know principles are nice but life doesn't work that way so Paul as we go to, the, let's go to this passage he says the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness self-control but he's not talking about us trying to be loving how many people try to be loving because I try to be loving to my kids but most of the time I want to kill them I do sound like venom <laughs> If I could, I would eat them. No, no, no. I'm kidding. But Paul is trying to frame the flesh or the sin nature in conflict with the spirit, and a lot of times we don't really explain that conflict well in the church. Therefore, everybody sees a polished version of spirituality and says, "Well, I can't identify with that," so they just pretend or try to act that way without really doing. The work beneath the surface. Paul, in this, in this letter to the church of Galatia, doesn't do that. He lays it all out. So look what he says. So, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will what not? Gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And there's the word. They are in what? Let's say that again. They are in conflict with each other. What does conflict look like? Like that. That's what conflict looks like. It's not one or the other. It's the in-between space of the left and right, right? They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Meaning, it's supposed to be conflicting. But a lot of times we're ashamed of the conflict. You're like, I, I should, I'm the only one that feels this way. I'm the only one that has these desires. I'm the only one that has this proclivity. I, I'm inherently flawed. A lot of us growing up in the, in the Korean church, Asian American church, had to find out ourselves what sexual desire was all about. No one told us. This proclivity is actually given to us by God until my dad told me about it. Put this picture up here. I believe I was like, Fourteen, fifteen. Dad, I'll never forget the moment you gave me the talk about the birds and the bees. But he didn't actually talk about the birds and the bees. He just talked about him and, his, him and my mom. <laughs> he touched me like this, and then he illustrated. <laughs> he said, Ham. Um, Ham. My Korean name is Ham Thun. So it's like, he touched me. It's okay. For me to have sex with mom, touch my mom, no! Don't do that! And he said this in, in Korean, so it was even grosser, that never, this is, you know, that's OK. And then he touched me again. I'm like, stop doing the touching. Enough touching. And then, But it's not OK for me to have sex with people outside. Not you, all the touching. You can have sex with your wife, but no one outside. I'm like, all right, this, alright, no more conversation. No more. But a lot of when we were growing up, we created our own theology about sex. In, in, in elementary school, we thought that you got HIV if you had sex. Because no one explained to us, because people were saying sex, HIV, oh, it's bad. Sex is bad. Or the propensity to sex is bad. So we thought, man, if you have sex, you get HIV. And we're around the, you know, at church basement. We're like, we think it might be worth it. <laughs> One time, a pastor in high school prayed in holy reverence and said to all the guys, teenagers gathering, he said, I, I pray. And I am getting from the Lord that you guys struggle with lust. And everybody was like, whoa, how's he know? How's he know that? So there's a lot of confusion in, in the church about proclivity, meaning there's a natural law within the human faculty, and then there's captivity, which is sin. It's a you're in bondage to something. But the proclivity is natural. Adam theologically, this is splitting theological. Harris, but Adam was created able not to sin. Tell someone, able not to sin. You're like, well, was it determ- Was it a, a sense of determinism? Was Adam going to fall? And that was predestined, so therefore he was going to do this? No, he was created in, with the faculties able, the ability not to give to his proclivity. And Sometimes you need what? Wisdom and discernment to be able to choose. Because we're not animals, right? And in the end of the day, there's a sense of morality. Yes, you have a need, sexual need. and Frank, I bring this up a lot of times, she talks about sexual exploration. She's 12. Was she sinning? No. It was a natural, she was describing a proclivity. Now, of course, you can hurt others. Even hurt yourself by violating people's autonomy and sanctity by using those needs. Now, that's when it moves to captivity. One time, my wife and I talk about the birds and bees. Um, and during spring, we walk near our house in our park, and there is a the blue jay mating. You know how blue jays, they're angry birds. They look pretty, but they're angry. But one time, we were walking this way, and the blue jay was... Doing its thing shamelessly, <laughs> and we're like, "Whoa, my God! This is like National Geographic." And the blue jay, because he was interrupted, tried to peck me and my wife. <laughs> He's like, "Give us some privacy." When is when God looks at our proclivity, does he go, "Oh my God, oh my God, what are you thinking? Disgusting that." No, God's not thinking. He looks. In, in in fact, humans, in a sense, in a physical way, were constituted as an organism. That's our, our first domain. There's a soul. There's a spirit. God doesn't look at your proclivity with disgust. And if you really want to be formed, even saved, I'll talk about salvation in a minute. But but formed in the image of Jesus in a genuine way, meaning your life really changes. You're not pretending, it's not dogma, it's not trying to appease the tribal uh, part, affiliation of Christianity that you grew up with. But if you really want to be formed and let the Spirit come in and produce the fruit of the Spirit, it has to start from that place. A confession, an honest confession. Hey, I have these proclivities. Sometimes there are needs, how do I get them is different. So the first lesson we learn here is that, what is the lesson? Shamelessly what? The ambivalence. The struggle's real. It's okay. The proclivity is normal and everyone struggles. How is a different question. But we have to shamelessly embrace the ambivalence. If you really want to walk out, men and women want to walk out in integrity, in every domain of your life, area of your life, sexually, ethically, morally, in different in your in your career, in your life. It comes down to being shameless about the struggle, at the meeting. because if there's no struggle, if there's no bad news, that these. The proclivity brings me to a place of captivity and despair. Where is the salvation? Why a need for the gospel? Why is the gospel the good news at all? Without the bad news, and us finding ourselves in places we don't want to be, oh, why do we need Jesus in the first place? Why do we need grace at all? So this place, It's not visited whether you grew up in the church or not. You can't be saved. You can't be changed. Because you're pretending, we're pretending to be all right. We're pretending not to struggle. So I want to give you permission today. And freedom. To know that you're not alone in your struggle, in your proclivity. You're not alone. It's normal. And I pray the Spirit would help you embrace that. That's the beginning place where the gospel meets us. Where Jesus meets us. And the cross meets us. Let's move down. And so Paul says in Galatians 5.18, which this whole series is based on, that the fruit of the Spirit is what? love joy peace patience self-control but then he writes this letter and he has none of that watch the tone of this letter to the church of galatia you know that this spiritual leader was not trying to be holy in doubt because if you read it carefully the major conflict, historical context of the Church of Galatia, was that circumcision, which you know what that is, right? <laughs> circumcision being a necessary prerequisite for salvation, along with Jesus and the gospel on the cross. That Jesus alone is not enough. After you accept Jesus, if you're a woman, you get a path. But if you're a man, you must be circumcised. How many people do you think would sign up for this? It was a major stumbling block in the church of Jerusalem to allow Gentiles to come into salvation in Christ without circumcision. But the apostles had a clear head and mitigated that mandate. But in the church of Galatia, there were many folks known as the Judaizers that didn't like that. So Paul responds to them about how you need to only choose Christ alone. But he doesn't do it in a loving way, doesn't do it in a peaceful way, and definitely has no self control. He says, You were running a good race. Who cuts you on you to keep from obeying the truth? The kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast a little works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you would take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever they may be, will have to pay. The penalty, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? If, if that case, the offense of the cross, has been abolished, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Read verse 12 again. You know what he means, right? That's not loving, that's not peaceful, and that definitely has no self-control. This is the apostle someone we consider the greatest Christian of all time. He says, that's not something I would wish wish him my worst enemy, maybe. Paul here is not embodying what he is saying to the church of Galatia. Why, because he's not pretending to be the savior. He's not pretending to be something he's not. And it starts with spiritual leadership on if we act like we have no weaknesses, then everybody assumes the goal of Christianity is to eliminate weaknesses and become perfect, which is anti-gospel. The gospel message is offensive, whether to the secularist humanist or even to the Christian trying to earn their salvation, because in the end, the punchline is, there is no way you can save yourself. And that's offensive. There's nothing you can do. Tell someone there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. There's, no, there's nowhere you can go to become the hero of your own story in the gospel message. And that's what's really offensive about it. Someone who thinks they're actually good, morally good. I'm good. I'm a good person. Really? I've seen venom in you many times. And so one of the things, as I read the church, when I read Galatia, one of the things I adopted as a value in our community and in my own life is that when I'm genuinely feeling something, I do not try to control it for the sake of pretension or try to look better. And so what's the second lesson we learn here? Read it with me. Authenticity, always what? Religiosity. Religiosity even what even when it makes you look worse be in the moment okay don't kill anyone I'm not giving you license my pastor said (laughs) I could be venom I'll eat you I heard it in the message captivity is different proclivity okay I'm just saying have some discernment here but even with and and, uh, with, with anyone I try to be authentic as possible with myself. So at a restaurant that I go to often tries to jip me and for example if a chicken sandwich is supposed to have the usual two patties and I get one patty, a lot of times people assume that a minister it's supposed to turn the other cheek thank you you know be nice but I refuse to do that doesn't matter who's there and you're like well, well shouldn't you be a good example yeah my example is people need to know who I really am and I am not the hero of my own story And that doesn't mean giving me the license to do insidious things but to be sincere as possible for people to know there's no ambiguity and I say this who are the heroes in my story? Like, oh, he needs Jesus. One time when we had a campus in Staten Island, we had guys play basketball. We're starting a new basketball ministry in our in our church, and we used to play basketball as an outreach. And afterwards, all the guys used to go eat. And uh, one time, Danny, he was our, one of our new members there. Now he's one of our head greeters, and um, you know, and uh, you know, and there were 20 chicken sandwiches that we ordered. And they only gave us one chicken each. So I lifted up all the bread, each one. And I told, I told the waiter to come, the manager to come, because I, I know them. The, the guy at that restaurant calls me Johnny for the last 10 years, 20 years. I, could, I don't have the heart to correct him. But, but I lifted up all the chicken sandwiches. I said, no, this is, one, this is only one patty. Come on. You know it has two each. And then he was a new member, and he was looking, you know, he was looking, oh, he was, calm down. He was like, calm down. What are you doing? We're a church. Aren't you supposed to be like, you know, it's okay. You're supposed to like, you know, turn the other cheek or be a normal person, not go crazy. I said, well, I wasn't cursing. I was just saying, hey, this is wrong. They brought us, you know, I think 20 more chicken patties, and we had a feast putting them back on. You know, it's a little commotion. <laughs> but I think it's important for us to model as if you're if you're a believer, it's important to model why you need Jesus. Amen. You, you need to model that you're not complete, that you whine and you struggle. And you get angry, and that that's why the spirit, not the flesh, because if I try to modify my own behavior by my strength, that's me being the hero. I actually need the spirit to be at a place in my life where I can nicely ask for the chicken. I don't know how to ask nicely, but I'm working on it. But, but I think for someone like Danny, who in that Decade journey. Put this picture up here. <laughs> we did a movie with him called Beyond Lost, and the and the tagline was, "If God can save Danny and Gina, God can save anyone." <laughs> but but seriously, when people come to church, they look at people like they I can't identify with that product because they seem too polished. But for he was like, and then he thought about it. He goes, you know, I'm going to stay at this church. I want two patties all the time. <laughs> but what that started was an honest assessment of what the gospel does. Where you need to begin is that Jesus saves me where I am. And if that process is not clearly communicated and articulated, then The only reason why people want to, sometimes I hear about how the gospel should be represented is you need to be the perfect person. You need to be the model citizen, the glorious doctor. I prayed before I went to surgery, and God gave me peace. Or, you know, like, to be the best presenter at a TED Talk. Oh, God, I believe in God, so to glorify God. But, but that doesn't show the process. It doesn't show the process. It doesn't show where I can begin. It doesn't give me the freedom to begin where I am. And I think that's critical. And now, let's move down here. For, for, I think for Danny particularly, I've been hearing him talking to our younger brothers all the time. Hey, I know, do I know where you've been. That's how he talks. I, I, you know, I was there, I was there. Now he's, he's, you know, become, he has going for his master's, being a teacher. So on your right side, on my left, now Danny's one of our head greeters. He, he greets people into the family of God, knowing that you can come from anywhere. And I think that's a powerful story of what the gospel does, why it's good news. Being married, I mean, he got really lucky marrying me. I mean, come on, you know, talk about reaching. You know? <laughs> it's like Sky. <laughs> I told him, I said, You're crazy if you don't ask this girl to marry you right now. You'd like get brain surgery, you need help. But that's really the embodiment of the gospel message. It doesn't matter where you are, how broken or fallen. I feel like you only struggle by yourself when we share our struggles with others, when we share our ambivalence, the gospel can make sense to those around us. We can say, welcome home. Just, just the way you are. Starting from where you are. The gospel saving you. The cross shed for you. And that's when the power comes. That's when the grace comes. And that's when love, joy, peace, patience is produced from us and in us and through us. Amen? Stand and pray together. Will you lift your hands with me to the Lord today? Father, you said to us that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Not our strength, but weakness. You said that salvation is a gift, not from ourselves that no one can boast. This is why we sit down and stand up and sit down and stand up. Because... We're boasting about His strength in our lives. We're boasting about His mercy in our lives. We're lifting our hands because of His glory in our lives. Because in our weakness and brokenness and darkness, He is our strength. And He is gentle and kind and the proclivities that we have, that we feel ashamed of, Christ understands. And then He works in us, and as we surrender. So, the degree of the fruit in our lives could be measured by the degree of our surrender, of how much we align and abide to Him how much fruit we produce and then you can't boast because it wasn't you that had peace because you're good it's because of how much you abided in him he gets the glory but you get the joy I think that's a good trade glory is overrated look at every president they look like 80 years older when they come out of office forget glory let's take the joy Let's give Jesus the glory, and let's take the joy. Is that a good trade? Right now. Let's make this our prayer. Into your hands. Into your hands. commit again with all I am for you,
0: Lord. You hold my
1: world
0: in the power of your hand.
1: A, for the Christian, for the believer, you, is, you, you would set us free from the burden of religiosity. Because religiosity eventually kills, burns out, and brings to a place of despair. The most insulting is that we can never say we're better than someone. Which sucks, right? I mean, why'd you get the letters after your name or your bank columns? Or why'd you move to New York if you don't want to be better than people than everywhere they live? Especially California, I'm kidding. Um, I mean, when you embrace the cross, you can't say you're better because you're coming from a place of weakness. You're like, Jesus saved me. Jesus can save you. He's the best. That's insulting. Hey. I can't boast about my things, my accomplishments. They, they, all the crowns come tumbling down before his feet. And so it brings a sense of humility, if we're being honest. And that's the place where grace begins to, grace begins to take its stride. When the love of God begins to be poured out. And that, that's when, before we know it, we're loving others. Not in our strength, but His. That's when we have self-control. That's when peace comes. Imagine that as a witness to those struggling with their own proclivities, their own maladaptive thoughts, and their own despair. That's good news, isn't it? And for those who are seeking or in the verge of deconstruction of your own faith, oh good. Now, if you doubt, it's not you, it's not your faith that saves you, it's Jesus' hand that will save you. It's his grace that will bring you home. Doubt is necessary, deconstruction is necessary. It's not our morality or our belief that saves us. It's his grace. And for those of us that are out of bounds completely morally, well, no, God can never inherently love me or accept me. You don't know the things I've done or the things i thought. Well, God looks at it and says, that's why I come, to save you, to love you. wherever you might be, close, far, somewhere between. The gospel is good news for everyone. For our joy and his glory. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Amen.
0: Hi everyone. My name is Min I'm a member here at One A Church and we're so glad that you were able to attend today's service with us. Um, There are a few community news that I'd like to share with you all. The first announcement is about our tithes and offering. We want to remind all of our members here at 180 Church to keep God in the center of your life, which includes your finances. You guys can do so through the online payment methods shown on the screen. You can give through Venmo at church180, Zelle and Chase QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv, or if PayPal is your preferred method of giving, you can head over to our website at 180church.tv where there is a link to donate through PayPal. Our next announcement is about our prayer text hotline at 180 Church, which is available on text at 5397 prayer and also via email at prayer at 180Church.tv. This is a resource for everybody, and especially during this difficult time where we need some prayer and support, there is a prayer team that's ready to help you and to pray for all the requests that you may have. Um, if your prayers have been an answered, you can also share them on the text hotline and we can celebrate the good news together. Next up is about small groups at 180 Church. These are smaller pockets of our community that meet on a weekly basis where we can dive a little bit deeper into the word and share how the message from that Sunday uh, spoke to us. We have a few different groups that are all meeting virtually now. And if you're not currently connected with a group, you can reach out to Pastor Billy at the email shown on the screen and he can get you plugged in into a group for you. We also have a YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC, where I'm sure most of you guys are watching us right now. And we also have two different Instagram pages at 180Church and also at 180BRG where there are really encouraging posts and verses that get shared there. So I hope you guys will follow us there and be encouraged. We also have the 180 church podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends where you can tune into a conversation and a dialogue that goes into into the word a little bit deeper with Pastor Lydia and Joe Lu who's a member of our community here. It's always a great time just listening to them um, converse about how the message has spoke to them and has impacted them and you can see how it can do the same for you. We also have a virtual 180 Cafe on the Discord app, where you guys can come hang out at any time in different groups on different channels. And it's an easy way to stay connected with the community and also check in with one another. As you might have seen on our social media channels, we launched a care package delivery service called 180 Cares. And this is a great way to um, show appreciation and love to the people in our lives that may, that may need some encouragement. If you'd like to send one of these boxes or just want to learn more, you can go check out our website at 180church.tv 180cares.
1: And lastly, if you've been blessed by our Sunday worship led by Pastor Lydia, you can visit the 180 Church Studios on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Here you'll find a playlist of all the worship songs we've featured every
0: Sunday, and it's perfect for when you want to immerse yourself in worship during the week. That's all of our community news. Once again, we want to thank everyone for joining us this Sunday,
1: and we hope to see you again soon. Bye.